We're carrying on now with our, our Bible reading, and we're carrying on our Bible readings in the book of Thessalonians, the letter to Thessalonians. And we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're reading from verse 12 to verse 18. So it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. If you do have that reading uh, open in front of you, we're going to have a little look at that uh, this morning together. Lucy's teed us up uh, brilliantly this morning as we, we think about teamwork. I don't know if you ever thought about Christianity as a, as a, as a team sport. We often think, don't we, about faith and, and religion and spirituality is a very individualistic thing. It's sort of between me and, and God or whatever I can choose to believe in. But, but actually the Bible has a lot to say. So actually we, we function best in, in relationships. Christianity is about how we, we work together to help one another on. I don't know if you've ever been in different team environments. Some of you will be very sporting and you'll have, you'll have played lots of sports and you'll, you'll know that there are good teams and there are not so good teams. And, and actually, that's not so much about how you perform on the pitch. That's about how do you get on. Sometimes teams are constantly getting at each other and, and digging, each, digging each other out and, it, and it, it doesn't feel that much fun. Other teams, they might lose all their games, but they, they love being around one another. They love to cheer one another on. They, they love spending time having fun together. Teams also happen in work environments, don't they? You, you'll know what it's like to be in a bad work team where actually people aren't very nice and, and there is a bit of kind of competition, a bit of getting at each other and, and angry emails. And those are, those are pretty horrible to, to be in, aren't they? And maybe you've had the, that kind of, uh, if you're at school and you weren't sporty, and, and, and if you're like me, that kind of thing of being the last pick, you know, you get, you get PE and rugby was the one for me and, and uh, we'd all stand around shivering in our shorts and, and the, the big kids would be picked to be captains and they'd pick round and, and, and I'd be the very last pick. And in fact, it got so bad one time that, that I wasn't just the last pick, but the person who should have picked me said, no, it's all right, you can have him. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how good I am at rugby. <laughs> and, uh, I, I know you, you just experience team relationships. But as we get to the end of this letter, uh, here's what we've, we've said about this letter. What we've seen is it's, a, it's, it's an early letter written by one of the earliest Christian leaders, a man called Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he writes this church that he'd, he'd helped to set up in a place called Thessalonica. He'd only been able to stay there a, a few weeks, really, before persecution had chased him out of town. And as we've looked at his letter to the church, we see, look, they're, they're keen and, and they've got lots of energy and enthusiasm, but they're quite a young church. There's some problems and, and things to navigate. And as we get to the end, this week and next week, we're going to finish off the letter. Paul turns to the topic of relationships because he wants them to understand that actually it's, it's really important that they do love each other, that they are patient with each other, that they encourage one another, that they bear 
with one another. Paul knows that if they, if they don't work hard at the teamwork, at the relationships, then that's just going to be very hard for, for this young church to grow, to grow in their maturity, uh, to grow in their love, to, to stay the course. And so as we look at this this morning, to, to try and help it, I was trying to think of ways this week to help this kind of stick in our minds. Um, what I want to do is I want to give you six characters, six little portraits of people, six characters this morning that can actually uh, damage the church. So we're going to kind of flip on its head a bit and think about six characters, and I've said six characters that can do grievous bodily harm. As I use that picture, I'm thinking about when Paul talks about the church as being like a body. So six characters this morning that can do grievous bodily harm to the body that is Jesus' body, the church. And here's the first one. Here's the first character that can do grievous bodily harm to the church. Uh, it's someone I've called Rebellious Roger. Now, I've worked quite hard to try and make sure I don't use any names of people currently in the church. Uh, so, so if I accidentally use your name, you're visiting or you're watching online, there's, like, there's, no, there's no kind of narrative or anything. Uh, rebellious Roger. Rebellious Roger is one of those people who, he just likes to rebel against every authority. It doesn't really matter which one it is, whether it was teachers at school or the boss at work or, or the government. He's, he's just one of those people who likes to constantly sit in the place of being sort of the honourable opposition. He likes to, to take time over in, in the kind of coffee room with his mates to slag off the, the bosses in the offices. He just, he just doesn't like authority. And he finds every opportunity to kind of talk about that and, and act that out. Do you see what Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 5? He says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, he's addressing the church, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord's, and to admonish you, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. I think you can imagine how a young church could get into this situation, can't you? There's, it's a young church and the leaders would have been young in faith too. And so you can sort of see how there's some tensions that may have arisen in the church here. As the leaders are trying to lead and, um, and some people don't like everything that's going on and, and you can imagine some of the sort of disagreements and the little groups that form and, and Paul says, I want you to be really careful about that. I want you to really watch out for that, that kind of attitude and mindset because it can tear the church to bits. I think I've told you before the story of a guy called Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was, uh, well, he was a vicar in Cambridge in the 18th century and he was sent to be the vicar of this church by his, his bishop um, when he was aged just 23 years old. So he was young. Uh, and he went to this church, and the truth was the church didn't want him. Uh, they, 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 just, they wanted somebody else. They didn't want him, and so they made his life really difficult. And one of the first things they'd do, but back in the day, they would, they'd rent pews for their family. Your family would rent a row. Uh, and these, these pews would have kind of doors on them that, that you could lock. They, they basically locked their pews and refused to let anyone else use them. So Simeon, at his own expense, he, he bought some benches and put them in the aisles and, and down the sides. And when he'd gone home, the church wardens came in and they smashed him to bits and chucked him in the courtyard. Uh, they would lock him out of the evening service. They're, they're just, the, the caretaker would come in, lock the door so he couldn't get in. There was, there was an afternoon service, which they did have some control over, it seems. And, and they basically they refused to let him preach at this service for 12 years. They really didn't want him. As it turned out, he stayed for 54 and, and had a, a massive impact, but they didn't want him. It was hard. Paul says, hold your leaders 
in the highest regard. I think that's, that feels quite un-British, doesn't it? We, we don't like putting people on pedestals. We, we like to pull them down off them. We, we like to gently kind of mock people in authority. That I think this, this feels quite hard to us, to hold leaders in high regard. But Paul says it's important. Now, he doesn't say, does he? he doesn't say you must agree with everything your leaders do. He doesn't say that leaders should be above challenge when they err or go wrong. And no, no, all, all those things are right and proper. But he says, look, I want your attitudes to be that, that you, you hold your leaders in high esteem so that you don't get these little breakdowns, uh, these little kind of groups within churches that are all kind of squabbling against each other and squabbling against the leaders. You can see how that can do grievous bodily harm pretty quickly. Paul says, watch out for that. That's the first person. Second character I've called um, <clears throat> unmerciful Ursula. Unmerciful Ursula. In, uh, you'll notice at the end of verse 13, uh, Paul says to him, says, Look, live in peace with each other. And then he gives some details, which we're going to come back to in a moment. Uh, and then in verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Live in peace with each other. Always strive to do what is good for everyone else. Unmerciful Ursula, she, she loves to hold on to a grudge. If you, kind of, if you accidentally spilled your coffee in Ursula's handbag after church five years ago, she still remembers. If you, if you once sent her a slightly grumpy email, she's still got it saved and starred to bring out any time she needs it. She, she holds on to wrong. If you've, if you've fallen out with her, she might never forgive you. She might say she has, but she's, she's hanging on. You know, if you, have you ever watched those, um, those kind of people who do like the booking Broncos or the, the bull riders? Uh, I think I've got a little picture for you of this. You know, the idea is the, these cowboys, they sit on these, these animals. And I think the idea is they're supposed to try and hang on for eight seconds. That's, that, that's how you win. You hang on for eight seconds while this thing is trying to throw you around and, and chuck you off. And if you hold on for eight seconds, then, then that's, that's, that's what you've done. It's like... Ursula is one of those people that she's hanging on. She's hanging on to every grudge and every wrong and every breakdown. We can lose that picture now. Thanks, guys. She, she's hanging on and hanging on and hanging. She, she will not let it go. She will not move on. She will not forgive and forget. She will not make friends. She's, she's just one of those people. She will not show mercy to anybody for anything. You can imagine how that works out in a, in a church context, can't you? One of the most striking quotes I, I read, was reminded of recently, was by an American writer called Paul Tripp. He says, this, this is where this is challenging. He says, the thing is, what we need to remember is that sinful people react sinfully to being sinned against. It's quite a striking quote, isn't it? But, but it's true. Sinful people, as all of us, will almost always react sinfully to being sinned against. So you can imagine, you put all those people together like we are now, there's going to be some tensions. There's going to be the need for showing mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation. It's striking, isn't it? What did Jesus call us to be? He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those two things are very different. Can you see that? Peacekeeping is sort of the sweep under the rug, ignore it, bury our heads, move on. Peacemakers say, actually, I can see there's been a breakdown. And actually, we really need to sit down face to face and talk about that. 
talk about what happened and say sorry and ask for forgiveness and work out how we kind of move forward. Peacemaking is hard, isn't it? Peacekeeping can be kind of easy if you just bury it and move on, but peacemaking is difficult. It's, it's painful. It comes with tears. But that's what we're called to do. And Paul says, live in peace. Don't pay back wrong. Seek good. Here's the third character. Uh, the third character I've called Superior Stew. Uh, Superior Stew thinks he's better than everybody else. He, he certainly thinks he's more spiritual than everybody else. Uh, he's read more books than you. Uh, he, he watches all of the really sound preachers on the internet, you know, the ones that, that wear ties and uh, preach from the King James. You know, he's, he he, he kind of knows more. He's had more experience in churches. His theology is all kind of neat and tiny and sewn up. And, and really, he, he's better than you, and he knows he's better than you, and he slightly looks down his nose at you. Now, where is Superior Stew in this passage? Because it's not immediately obvious, is it? Um, look at verse 14. It says this, uh, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. Now, who are the idle and disruptive? Ray helped us with this a few weeks ago, uh, where we saw similar language in chapter 4, where, where Paul has said, I want you to make your ambition, uh, mind your own business, uh, lead a quiet life, work with your hands. It seems in the church, you pick this up in this letter and the second letter, um, there's a group of people. This group of people, they, they're so convinced that Jesus is going to come back like in the next few weeks or months that they've, they've given up their jobs and they're, they're sitting around, you know, reading their Bibles and, and praying and being super spiritual because they know Jesus is coming and they're completely devoted to this. And they're expecting everyone else in the church to support them in that. So, so basically to, to give them their food and to, to, to pay their mortgages and, and cover their bills while they do the really spiritual stuff. That's why I think that's, that's this idea of super spiritual stew, superior stew. This kind of mindset and attitude that slightly looks down at others because we think we're better. We think we're more spiritual than them. And, and people who aren't as serious as us, well, we just, we just slightly pity them. We kind of wish the church would, would just sort them out. That we'd all just be a bit more serious about our spirituality. Paul says it's not... Actually, not, not only should you not do that, but, but you should warn people who kind of behave like that and think like that. It's the difference between cats and dogs, isn't it? I don't know if you're cat people or dog people. Hands up if you're a cat person. You're wrong. Hands up if you're a dog person. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, I mean, look, look at the cat. I mean, the, the cat just sneers at you, doesn't it? The cat just looks at you. The cat knows it's better than you. It just, it just looks at you and, and just kind of despises your existence. I mean, it'll, 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 it'll have a dry place to sleep and, and it'll come and eat your food. But to be honest, it would, it would feel better if it didn't have anything to do with you. D- dogs aren't like that, are they? Dogs are not like that. Here's a picture of a dog. Dogs are always pleased to see you. You, you come in the house and... Um, I think it's the next slide, guys. Thank you. And uh, as, as, as soon as you come in the house with a dog, the dog, the dog is kind of sprinting at you. Uh, the tail is going crazy. I mean, look at, look at, that, look at that face. Uh, the, the tail's going crazy. They've kind of let a little bit of wee out because they're so excited. They've rolled over so you can kind of tickle their tummies. They're like, it's party time because this guy's here. Like, it's only me. Like, nobody else in my house greets me like that, but this is great. As you know, as you come in, the cat sort of slinked out of the back door because it's just caught a whiff of, of, of your stench. The dog loves you. See, like Christians, be, be more like dogs. 
be, be pleased to see. Like, let's not feel superior. Paul says, don't, don't get into that kind of slightly spiritually superior mindset where we, we think we're better than people and we, we look down at people who aren't kind of as all sorted out as we are. And, and Paul says, no, like, warn people who kind of think like that. Superior Stu, his character four, um, self-centered Stella. Uh, self-centered Stella, uh, she's got a lot going on in her life. There's, there's a lot on her plate. There's a lot of issues. There's things at home and in the family and the, the workplace. And, uh, and really, she hasn't got time for anybody else's problems. Uh, she's, you know, she's, she's got her own stuff going on. Don't ask her to, to, to help somebody else or to listen to somebody else. There's, just, there's her world and, and her life. And um, everyone else, look, just, just I, I, me. It's all about me. It's all about my needs and my wants and, and, and how, what's going on with me. Paul says in verse 14, doesn't he? Look down what he says. Um, he says, encourage the disheartened and help the weak. Encourage the disheartened and help the weak. Uh, some of you um, boys and girls, you, you may have heard of, of a kind of a, a scientist who lived, lived a long time ago um, called Copernicus. Uh, if, if you've heard of Copernicus, you can whisper it to your mums and dads or, or maybe they can tell you. Um, Copernicus made this amazing discovery. And the discovery he made was this. He found out that it wasn't that the sun revolved around us and everything revolved around us on earth, but actually that we revolved around the sun. Copernicus said, actually, the the sun is at the centre and we go round it, not the other way round. So as as Christians, it's easy sometimes to think we're at the centre and everything and everyone needs to revolve around us and our needs. Actually, the Bible says it's not really like that. The, the sun, actually, the sun, S-O-N, is really at the centre. And all of our lives should be sort of revolving around that. There was, there was an ancient character in, in Greek mythology called Narcissus. If you ever want to know what narcissistic means, um, it, it's based on this guy called Narcissus. And what Narcissus did was he was out for a walk one day and he came across a little pool of water and he, he stopped to take a drink and he knelt down and he looked and he, and he caught sight of the most beautiful person he'd ever seen in all, all of his life and he stayed there forever he was so captivated by his own reflection he was so amazed with with himself and and how amazing he looked and, and he just he just couldn't get up he couldn't leave he was just stuck at this place absorbed with himself so the bible tells us time and time again doesn't it things like this Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. How do we find those opportunities actually to say, if the church is to grow in its health and its strength, well then, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we encourage the disheartened? Where's the opportunity to help the weak? Where do we actually need to just kind of self-sacrificially serve one another to find out where those needs are and to, to get involved with those? A church full of self-centered stellars is not going to be a healthy place to be, is it? Because we'd all feel resentful and, and, and no one will get any help. Here's the fifth character for you. Uh, the fifth character I've called Impatient Ivan. Impatient Ivan. Uh, Impatient Ivan really has very little time for people he considers to be idiots. Uh, his professional work is he's a, he's a troubleshooter. He, he goes into workplaces. He fires at all the people who are kind of slacking off and, and not really working. And he, and he fires them. That's, that's what he does. P- incompetence, idiocy, no time. Uh, just, just bin them off and find somebody better. 
That's the way he thinks about life. And so, so he comes to church and, and really like if, if people just aren't performing to the level he expects, he just gets annoyed. He sends angry emails to the pastors about the, 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 the music team and the sound team, the tech team, because they, they keep slightly missing things and, and he just doesn't think it's good enough. And he thinks we ought to have a word with them and sort them out and, and find somebody else. And he's like, uh, boys and girls, you know that film Inside Out? You've seen Inside Out? Hasbro, you've seen Inside Out? Yeah, you've seen Inside Out. You know the angry character in it? The, the, the angry emotion who, who is kind of orange and red and at any moment his, his head will just explode with anger. This is kind of impatient Ivan. He just, just short fuse, uh, anything that goes wrong, he will be quick to tell you. He'll let you know that you've, you've failed in some way. Has very little in the way of, of patience. Verse 14 says, doesn't it? Be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Not, not be patient with some people. Not be patient with those who seem to be well-intentioned and trying hard. Uh, not be patient with people like you or you be going with, but be patient with everyone. I guess Paul means by that, even the people aren't necessarily patient with you. <laughs> be patient with everyone. Anger is one of those funny things, isn't it? Like some of you will have that short fuse thing where you just, you just flip and explode. But I think lots of us, actually our anger is pretty well buried. We're angry, all right. We're just really good at burying it deep down and covering it up. And inside it kind of it simmers away, the frustration. And maybe we don't talk to the person about it, but we'll talk to those close to us. And we feel angry. We feel our kind of our chest tightening, we feel our hearts beating faster and we, it's, it's, it's no better. The fact that you're good at stuffing it down doesn't make it better. We're told to be patient with everyone. And here's the sixth and perhaps, perhaps the most important really in some ways, um, prayerless Penelope. If you look at verses 16, 17 and 18, now after Paul has talked to them about how they relate to each other, it's almost like he, he turns things to, to look upwards says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, prayerless Penelope, well, I guess like many, she, she struggles with her quiet time. She doesn't read a Bible as much as she should. She doesn't pray all that often. It's, it's often she's, she's just too busy. There's too much going on to, to stop and, and pray and give thanks. And she maybe makes a kind of midweek small group one in six and she never really goes to the church once it's boring. Um, <clears throat> and so she, she struggles to get perspective on things. It's a bit, it's a bit like this. I, I wear glasses, obviously. And um, I'm, I'm really quite short-sighted without them. Um, I can just about see that picture. Uh, but like now, so I couldn't read my notes now. I'd, I'd have to get, if I was trying to read my Bible, I'd probably have to get about here before I can start to read the words. I've, I've sometimes said to some of you, um, uh, I, I like to jog. I say jog, it's more like kind of shuffling with a grimace. Um, if, you, if you ever see me shuffling with a grimace and, and, and I blank you, it's not, it's not that you've upset me. I, I'm, I've not blanked you. I just genuinely can't see people. Um, it's just enough to see my feet so I don't trip over. Um, I'm, I'm kind of that short sighted. So I, I struggle to see much further than just what's in front of my face. So I really have to put these on to get that bigger picture. So I, I, this kind of this God would look is a bit like this. When Paul says rejoice and pray and give thanks, I think part of what he's, what he's trying to say is this: say, as we as we keep keep looking to God, 
we look around and we keep looking to God and we look around and we keep looking to God. It is that heavenward look which gives us the perspective we need actually on church and one another. It's, it's thankfulness for, for all that God has done with us that enables us to, to exercise grace and love to each other. It's his love for us means I can love you. His patience with me challenges me to be more patient with you. His daily kind of encouragement to me by the work of his spirit in my life helps me to think how, how I encourage others. It's, it's as we get that perspective, if we lose that, we will really struggle to, to see kind of the, the reason, the motivation, the importance for working hard on the horizontal um, relationships. It, it may be, by the way, if you, if you struggle to make sense of some of these things generally in your life, if, if, if you'd say to I'm not sure I'm a Christian, and, 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 and actually I, I do dislike authority, and I do struggle with forgiveness, and I, and, and I do struggle with feelings of superiority, and I am quite self-centered and quite impatient. It may part, part of the reason for this is because you don't have this Godward perspective in your life. You haven't got that, that bigger picture which enables you to sort of place everything else in your life and, and view it rightly, as God would encourage us to do. So the challenges is for, for the, the challenges of this or the applications are in, in some ways straightforward, aren't they? The most obvious one is, do you see any of this in yourself? And I guess the answer is, yeah, most of them to some degree, some of the time. Most of us would have struggles with this. You know, some of us will struggle more with one than the other. Which one is it? Some of us will struggle more with one than another in certain situations. Well, what is that? We need to do this kind of work in our own hearts, don't we? Say, so where, where do I find myself feeling? unmerciful or impatient or <clears throat> rebellious or superior or whatever it might be. Where do you see that? Uh, and, and, and how are you going to sort of identify and address that? The much more challenging application is this one. Paul's writing to a church and encouraging them to help each other with this. If you saw this in each other, would you talk about it? Now, we've got to be careful here. This is, I'm not giving you an invitation to go up to people you barely know and, and, and shout them for that. No, but people you know well, people you're close to, if you see some of this in their life, would you, would you have the, the commitment to them? Would you have the courage? Would you have the compassion, actually for them and the wider church, to say, look, in all love, I've just noticed this. Are you aware of it? That's a much harder application, actually, isn't it? Uh, one book I read talked about it like this. We, we live in a call-out culture, and that's not very helpful. Because calling people out is basically about sort of shaming them. So what we need to think about is a call-up culture. So I actually say, look, we, as, as followers of the Lord Jesus, we, 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 can, we can grow. That the, God's given us the power of the Spirit to help us change. We, we can do better. I want to call you up to something better. To be actually the person that I know you can be because of God's work in our hearts. Maybe, maybe you're aware there's one of those, even this week or the next couple of weeks, actually, I, I need to go and talk to somebody. I, I need to perhaps go and, go and sort this out, maybe seek some reconciliation or talk about this. Because Paul says it's important, isn't it? It's the team thing. If, 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 we, if we don't do this, if, if, if we sort of sweep this all under the carpet and ignore it and pretend it's not really important, we are like that team that's constantly falling out. We're like a, a team of rugby players sort of bashing into one another. Um, 
we're like, uh, we're, we're like sort of a, a parliament where the government just call each other hopeless and the opposition just want to score points. And, uh, but really nothing is getting done for the wider good. I mean, obviously that would never happen, but, but imagine if you can. Or it's like, it's like, you know, when you're driving your car and the lights come on and it makes funny noise and you think, oh, I won't, I won't go and get that fixed. I'm sure it'll be fine. Oh, you know, eventually what's happening is your car's going to blow up. So this, this is important. As he clo- these are his kind of closing words, almost. We're getting toward the closing words to the church. He says, this is so important. If, if you're not going to do grievous bodily harm to the body of Christ, if you're, if you're going to grow, if you're going to keep uh, honouring God and, and caring for each other and being a witness to the world, if you're going to last the course, you've got to work at some of these relational things. And that won't always be easy. But, but that's Christianity, a team sport. It's important that we think about it. It's important that we address some of these issues uh, where we need to. It's important that we keep thinking about this. A book I'm reading at the moment, it's called um, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. It's the title of the book. It kind of sums up Christian approach to relationships. It won't always be easy. Sometimes it'll be tough, but it's a mess worth making as we seek to, to honour God, as we seek the genuine welfare of others, as we, as we seek to be a distinctive witness in our worlds. All of this stuff's important. Let me close with, with just one quote. Um, we said this, that actually to, to really love one another requires a tremendous amount of self-sacrifice and self-awareness. But the fruit, the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control are simply of inestimable worth in our worship of God, our love for one another and our witness to a watching world. Amen.